This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is the award-winning actress, producer, and director, Robin Wright. I've admired Robin's work for as long as I can remember, and I was really thrilled to finally get the chance to speak with her. Robin has just released her feature directorial debut, Land. The film is about a woman who's experienced tremendous loss and retreats to the beautiful but unforgiving wilderness to try to find a new way to live. Watching the film felt like being inside a poem. It's so moving, visually stunning, and completely took my breath away. Today we talk about making career pivots, honing your artistic vision, how we heal from trauma, and why she felt called to make a movie about human kindness. So let's get to my chat with Robin Wright. Okay, I am so excited to talk to you on so many levels. First of all, I don't know if you know this, but basically the reason that I wanted to be an actress was when I saw you in Santa Barbara, the TV show, when I was 12 years old. I watched it every day. You were my complete obsession. You were so breathtaking and so natural and I was like, who is this? This is like what I want to do when I grow up. I'm serious. <laughs> With your fucking long hair and your amazing face and body and all of your natural behavior. I was like, I, I need to try to be this person. <laughs> okay, that is one of the funniest stories of all time. Because what a cheesy show. Is it I mean, cheesy? It was, it I don't know. It was one of the cheesiest. Well, and it was so popular at the time. Of course, it was just the 80s. But I just loved mostly the costumes. Come on. With the big 1980s 
shoulder pads, pads right? <laughs> everything was about shoulder pads. But you were such a and revelation. Everything was about, oh my God, that's so funny. I swear. <laughs> I, I swear well, to you. I, I mean, I have been your ardent fan since then. Like since I was 12. Oh. I'm serious. I, I, I have like loved you from afar forever. So, so I was just curious, like, how did you, what was your path to, to being on that show, which obviously then started the rest of your amazing career, but how did you get on a, how does one get on a soap opera? That was one of the last auditions that I did before I said, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm, I suck. I'm never going to get anything. And I bought a ticket to Hawaii, one-way ticket to Hawaii to get on a boat and be like a cut the crudite for the, for the crew. That, that was my job position. I'm just going to go do that and make some money. And as I got to Hawaii, I got the call saying, you, you got the part on Santa Barbara that you auditioned for right before you left. And then it was, you know, you sign a two-year contract and that's your life at NBC Studios, 16, 18 hours a day. Five days a week, old yep. school. And we would sometimes sleep in our dressing rooms. And NBC Studios, there's no windows except for in the front where the production people had their offices. So we were kind of in a dungeon with no <laughs> real air circulation. And then we'd go down into the stage dungeon and shoot the show with three cameras. And I lived in Santa Monica and that was in Burbank. I can't. Why go home for five hours? Wow. So we'd sleep on our couch in our dressing rooms a lot of the time. It, it was insane training, I have to say. Just just in terms of getting accustomed to the rigor and the discipline of the job and like nothing was hard after that. Pretty much. It was almost like boot camp for acting and also learning to work with three cameras at once. You had to know when to turn, when to favor camera one, et cetera. Oh, and some actors had 15 pages of dialogue a day with monologues and crazy kind of memorization you had to have. I never realized the live three camera. So you're sort of editing as you, or they're editing as they go. So the, and, and, and do you know when they're on camera one versus two versus three? Well, what you could see in your periphery was the red light. So you'd know if, if camera three's red light would go off you knew to go more to the left to get a profile shot for camera one. And they were in the booth editing the movie, the movie, the, the show, as we shot it. It oh was like, a, it's like a sports event. <laughs> a little bit. Incredible. That's amazing. Did, was it fun? It was actually, but it's, it's fun in the sense of the, the same way it's fun being on a series like House of Cards. You join this incredible team of people and you're around each other more than you're around your family, that becomes your family. And that was the, the, the hoot of it is that we would have barbecues on the weekend at the makeup person's house, et cetera. And just bonded with, with our crew and the other actors. Right. It's also a, I don't know, for, for me anyway, it was a fun time before I had kids. I felt like I could really engage in that familial side of like shooting something. As soon as I had kids, I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to go home. And I just want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you done a series? No, I've only done, I did a guest starring role on a show called Glee like 10 years ago. 
Right, right. Which I really loved. I had never, I had done a, uh, a mini series when I was 19. And then I had done one TV movie. And then I, I did film, film, film. And then I went and did this guest starring role. And I loved doing TV because you work, I, you work all day when, you know, it's like you do a film and you're sitting in your trailer all day waiting to do anything. And in TV, it's like, you're, it's so exciting. I mean, you're just kind of like on the go and I couldn't believe like, Oh my, you're going to shoot two pages in, in, in half a day. Like, this is unbelievable. They're like, no, we're shooting two pages in two hours. And then another, you know, I just like the pace of it. And the pace of it is incredible, right? It is. It's almost like being on an, an assembly line <laughs> of, of acting. You're like, get in this costume. We're going to shoot it. And how many scenes you have to shoot per day. It's like crazy. being on this movie, the difference between just pre-production. Let's just talk about that. Like prep to have four weeks on this movie to prep and talk to your DP and your producers and look at locations and collaborate with the departments that are making your movie. TV, you get maybe five, six days to prep one episode. You started directing on House of Cards. Right. And we're going to talk about Lan in a minute because I, it is so exquisite. It is so beautiful. Oh. I cried 40 times. Thank you. I, I love that you were moved. Loved it so much. It's like a poem and I want to talk to you about it, but I, I kind of want to understand before we talk about it, your path to directing because you are so gifted at it. And so when did this start to brew in you and when did you have the guts to kind of, I mean, I don't know, cause I, I you might be completely different than, than I am, but when I was thinking about changing, pivoting a bit and doing something different in my career, it took me like five years to get up the guts to even sort of say it out loud to myself. Did you always know you wanted to direct? Did you feel any trepidation about it? Like, how did you take that step from it being this internal feeling or desire to being something you said out loud to somebody? It took a long time to make that transition of vocalizing mm -hmm. it, right? And yeah. it was always in the recesses of my mind, like, God, one day, one day I would love to direct. And having worked with a handful of great directors, Anthony Minghella being one mm -hmm. of them, right? Mm -hmm. And watching that style and the grace that he had and so intelligent. And he was a poet the way he directed actors, right? And then Fincher, right? Same yes, thing. Yeah. You're just like, there's this other guy. Talk about the other end of the spectrum. But learning from each of them as the years went by, and taking notes, like copious notes, like I love that part from that guy. I love that from that woman. And then just sort of building this little diary of, I'm gonna be able to have the confidence one day to do it. And when I got on House of Cards, it was two years in, I felt comfortable, I had support and security. And teachers, I had cinema teachers. Mm -hmm. Our camera operator had sh been shooting for over 47 years. So I learned the camera and lenses from him. We wow. learned about lighting from our DPs. And if I hadn't had that education from that crew, I don't think I would have had the confidence to say, I'm ready 
to direct mm -hmm. the show. And they actually encouraged me to do it. So I wow. said, I think I'm ready, whispering. And they said, we got your back. We're going to be with you every step of the way. We've been doing this a lot longer than you. And they, they were there. They were my babysitters and my teachers. And, and what, what is it about directing that you longed to execute, if that makes sense? Like what, what is the ex artistic expression in driving a, and, and, and like creating a story and a picture that, that moved you? What, what was it about it? I think it's twofold. It's as an actor, I couldn't wait to be behind the camera to watch the evolution that actors produce in a scene where you can tell them a story without just giving them an adjective, like just be happier or be more depressed. And learning to not want to do that, that we've had done to us as directors. Be more depressed when you walk in the room. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't help me do anything. <laughs> give me substance and sustenance and then let me imbue that in a take. And I couldn't wait to do that because it's what I missed a lot of the time being an actor. And then you would see, God, if I could just give that actor this note, I know they could achieve what the director wants right now, but they're getting blocked by their own cerebral mind. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. That was one reason to want to do it. And then I loved the idea of jumping into another ship, having been in the ship of acting for almost 40 years and going, I want to work with all the people because all the people are building this, this are, are, we're all architects of this project. Not one person directs it. You work with everybody. And I love the collaboration and the creativity that comes with that. When you've got your production designer coming in and going, I've got this great idea. I was up at midnight and you're like, that's genius. That just changed the movie and made it hundred percent better. So, something I never would have thought of. So you're just welcoming all these ideas and the creative juices are flowing all day, every day and prep. And then everybody wants to make the best movie. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. How many episodes of House of Cards did you direct? I think 10. Wow. Okay. So by the time you, you got to the movie, you had given yourself a full mini, <laughs> mini, mini MBA, mini masters in, in directing. 
<laughs> I kind of. I'd like to. I'd like to think that way. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> that feels very astute. Had you suggested that maybe in you know the first couple of episodes, your of House of Cards, you were in less so that you could sort of get your feet wet, or no? Were you just still starring in every episode right out of the gate? It it was still starring in every episode, but they, I think they did try to trim a little bit just so I could get my footing. So you were, you, you, at the inception of this, you were immediately doing two giant roles at the same time. You never, you haven't directed anything that you haven't been in. That's right. How, how difficult is it to do those two very different things with two very different objectives at the same time. You know, on the, on the show, it was a very different animal because I had played that role already for two and a half years. You just kind of snap to the character. You've been doing it for so long. It's second nature. And that created an ease to be able to go from behind the camera where you're answering all the questions that need to be answered as a director and directing the actors. And then you go, okay, just shift for three minutes. We're just gonna go do this angle on, on me. Mm-hmm. And you bang out a couple of takes just the way you do your job. It's more focus. I found it was, I needed more focus to be behind the camera, of course, because there's so much more to think about. So many more people that are involved in the decision-making process of what's your episode gonna look like? What tone do you want? How many angles do you want in this scene? Do you want the camera moving? How close do you want to be on you? What does that mean to the environment and the behavior in the room with the other? You got to be thinking about those things 24 hours a day. So intimidating. I mean, I can't, I've, I can't imagine, I can't imagine directing and I certainly can't imagine directing myself in anything. Like I, I can't imagine having all of those plates spinning at the same time. It's, it's extraordinary. Did you feel, but you said on, on House of Cards, you felt really supported by the crew, which you also presumably had known for a long, long time. And, and you were able to, did you feel like you were able to be brave and, and develop your visual style? Yes, exactly. And what a gift. Because you felt like you were home. And yes, you had your family around you supporting you. And just saying, try this idea. See if that is what your visual palette is like, Robin. And that's how you start to find your original style. And it doesn't mean that I want to just stick with one style. I know know directors have a very, a lot of directors have very particular styles that stand out. And I just feel like I want to dabble in other styles. Hmm. And most of that is, yes, content. Like I'd love to direct a comedy right now, just to go completely the other <laughs> to the other end of the spectrum. But also, I really want to start playing around with the camera and achieving what I envisioned in my head when I read that script and said, I want to do that project. Hmm. Because it takes a lot of homework to, to know those lenses and know why and, and when to move the camera. Like I watched Eternal Sunshine of, what's it called? Spotless Mind. Spotless Mind, yeah. What a great film. And watching, yes, incredible writer, Charlie Kaufman, love his mind. Michelle Gondry, just one of the greatest directors of all time. 
And Ellen Curris, the DP, shot it. And I was just watching the way she was executing the vision of that director and that writer. Mm. And I really want to hone that skill and find something that is more true to me. Mm. What What is your vision? What is your style? What's your technique or your trademark? I, I don't know yet. <laughs> it's my baby. Well, but it's interesting too, if you think about it from coming from the perspective of an actor, because in that incarnation, you're a chameleon, right? So you are adapting to whatever the material is and you're bringing it to life. So interesting to be an actor and to approach material from the provenance of coming from adaptability and then thinking about, okay, no, what, what is my imprint on this first and foremost, as opposed to the material? It's a very interesting switch to make. It really is. And we, we had to adhere to a specific style on House of Cards that David Fincher set, right? He made the template. We could only use certain lenses. We could never use handheld. We could never use Steadicam. Um, ah, of course. A lot of demand for big wide shots, like seeing the whole White House residence and then seeing Francis and Claire walk you know, into the shot. And it's trying to find... What it? What is your style? Like you say, adaptability. So I had to find a, my style, even though the style was already set mm. of the show, and not break that that wall. Which I'm sure some directors come onto a show and they do, and everybody gets reined back in, going, "No, no, no, this is the look of our show." But I had free reign on on land, mm. and what did you want that to look like? And of course like every movie, you always are going to, you know, even as an actor, you go, God, I wish I could have done this on this take. And I didn't get it. I didn't get that take, or I didn't get that shot, or I didn't shoot the scene the way I saw it in my head. And I knew it and I didn't correct it. So you're kicking yourself still. Mm-hmm. And that's just, I think, just the, the beginnings of, of learning. I have so much to learn. So thrilling and <laughs> so wonderful to be able to watch somebody do this. And the movie is so beautiful and there's such a facility. I mean, I, with the camera and like, I I felt like it was so clear what the story that you were trying to tell. And it was so moving and it is so visually stunning. The scene where you're sort of making the garden and figuring out how to live off the land and that the, the power of the, regenerative spirit was so emblematic of what your character was going through this incredible grief overwhelmed by grief and inconsolable understandably and I loved how quiet it was that it was we didn't need so much explanation like that your direction and your performance was so strong and so clear that we could just watch this incredible story of healing through nature occur. So how did you find this movie? How were you like, yeah, that one, or did, did you, were you involved in the writing of it or did you read it or how did it land on you? It came to me about three years ago. I was directing the last season of house of cards and this was a script that won in a contest, writers, and where they, they take 5,000 
submissions and they pick five scripts out of the 5,000. This was one of them. And Alan Stewart, our producer, got in touch with my agent, said, can I come to Baltimore, Maryland and have a meeting with Robin? Because I think she should direct this movie. I read it and I just loved the simplicity, the quiet, the healing aspect, and that it was all about the beauty of transformation and mm -hmm. that human kindness and human connectedness can pull you through, can help us heal. Mm -hmm. And at that time, three years ago, why it resonated so strongly was we were all experiencing and witnessing these random shootings that were going on almost bi-weekly. And I just was weeping every day as I just couldn't imagine what these people were going through. How do they find their way? Everybody does it differently. And I just wanted to tell this story for that reason. This is one person's experience with grief, not claiming to understand everyone's grief and how they should heal. One person, and it is generally with the help of another. When you are faced with adversity, it is humans, other humans that help pull us through mm -hmm. and give us faith to live. Did you feel incredibly vulnerable and exposed? And I only ask this because, you know, in my experience on set, when you have to kind of rip your skin off and bear that deepest, most raw part of yourself, you're doing it in the kind of matrix of the director holding you and what they want. So how do you do that when it's for yourself and then you're the one adjudicating if you're doing it enough, if that makes sense? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, should we go again? We should go again. <laughs> you have to have an incredible team of people around you. And that team is your producers that are on set. I had three female producers there every day in the dit tent watching each take. And we had had so much conversation for a year prior, what each scene should be, how I wanted to execute A, B, and C. They took notes. They knew exactly the movie we were all setting out to make. So when I was in front of the camera, I literally would just say, can everybody just clear out for a sec, get out of the cabin? And I would just be alone. And then whatever you do, I would play the song. I have music. I go to music. And then I'd get in that emotional space. And I had a walkie and I said to the AD, okay, I'm ready. Bring them in. Wow. And they would come in the cabin and be very quiet. Camera was already set. Lights were set. And I only wanted a couple of people in there, the necessities. You know, if the camera was moving, the DP, if it was locked off, nobody had to be in there except the boom guy and me. Wow. So as much as possible that we could do that in the emotional scenes, I would do. Mm. I don't like, I don't know if you're the same. I'm really uncomfortable performing emotional scenes like that or getting naked or I don't like doing it in front of the crew. I'm embarrassed. I feel awkward. I feel self-conscious. Yes. If I have only two people in the room, I feel like I can be more vulnerable, like you were mm -hmm. saying, be more available to what the scene needs. And also so beautiful to get to see the full arc of those emotions. You know, I feel like if you're editing your own work, you know what you were trying to do and you, you, you left it for us to see. It was so beautiful. I was like, ah, oh, 
everyone, should, everyone should be able to say like, no, leave that in. I, I, I was trying to do something like I, I got it right there. And you know what I mean? It was like, and it was a very powerful performance. And it was very, you, it felt, it felt like you felt so freed up to me to do what you were doing. And it was really empowering to see like, as as a woman to understand you were able to achieve like that depth of transmitting that, that kind of feeling and while being at the helm of the whole thing. You know, I realized I haven't seen a movie in so long. I've been watching House of Cards and, you know, it's like you, you, you kind of, I don't know. I, I don't, I th- and I also obviously in this whole COVID year, it's not like we're going to movie theaters and, it also feels like the movie business has changed so much. And I don't know, I, I realize, my God, I miss this. I miss this two hours of letting a story unfold like this in, in this beautiful way where it it's taking its time, but yet you're hanging on every scene. You don't get that. And it's different to television. That- yeah, because you know, and also you're going to have a continuation of. yeah your questions will be answered quicker, things like that. So yeah, in this hour and a half window. It's a meditation. It's a meditation. And trusting that the audience will be patient, that they don't need fast food service all the time. Because this movie, the event, the unfathomable event, Ah. the movie, and then you go forward and then it had a bunch of flashback scenes of what her life was. So I took all of that out. Let's just try. And we had many iterations in the edit because it was a Rubik's cube. It was like, you could have that movie. And then you could also have faith in the audience that they're going to wait and we can keep them engaged. I hope, I hope that was my greatest fear. I don't want to watch me alone for the first 10, 15 minutes of a movie. Oh, everybody else does. Don't worry. But you know where you're just like, that's going to be really boring. No. But our editors were fantastic. How they just trimmed all the gristle off of the steak. And they just made it move like a juggernaut. Mm. Until act two, when there is the rescue and entering a rebirth period. of this character's life. It was tricky and and they did a great job in the editing room. Truly, because you don't, not, not, not knowing fully until the end, what happened. It's like, you don't need to. And then, and then obviously we know we, 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 we make assumptions as an audience and we know kind of what's going on. We fill in the blanks. And then when Miguel talks about his experience and you think, oh, the, this is so interesting, this parallel path. So how how important was the platonic part of their love? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, nicely put. I love that, the platonic part of their love. That was in the original draft of the script. And that was one of the three main, main reasons of wanting to do this movie, because you, you so rarely see that kind of connection. And it could have it could have been written to go romantic and people may may they may presume as they're watching it going oh maybe it's going to maybe it's going to and when i met damien for the first time having seen him in that movie a better life 
and was so blown away by his performance and just that guy's soul just resonated onto the screen. And I was like, he's perfect for this role. Mm. And he walked into my house to have a, our first meeting. And it was as if we had known each other our whole lives. That kind of connection, you just sometimes, it's kismet. You just have it with certain people. We're like each other's long lost sibling. Wow. And that translates in the movie. That's exactly who we are in real life together. We giggle all the time. And it's like we're soul brother and sister. So it was on the page, but if I hadn't found him, who knows, would it have translated? So he's he's really amazing in the movie. Was he's it so special? Oh, he's so good. And I love those characters where they're clearly teachers without being didactic or dogmatic or as like his he was sort of this beautiful teacher just kind of pulling it out of you and pulling your strength and your humanity back up to the surface and your compassion for yourself back up. And nobody talked about it and we just saw it happen. And he, he really was, he was amazing. He was talking a lot about, because we didn't have rehearsal period. We, we literally had a meeting at my house for an hour and a half to talk about the script, the role, who is this character to Edie? And what is what 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 are we trying to achieve at the end for that final scene at the end? But outside of that, I was so busy. He didn't get there till later. He just showed up on set and we would do maybe a take or two of most scenes because we didn't have time. The point is when he was talking to me about, he said, I I had the tragedy in my personal life. So I know exactly what this character is going through. And I know what she has to then go through after this phase. So she's right now in phase one of just mm. be proactive, erase yourself that was, because that person will never exist again. And you need to find a new self. And how do you do that? Everybody does it differently. She decides to go off the grid and try to survive on her own. And when you say teacher, you were talking about him being a, a, not a didactic teacher. Damien said, I really feel like less words are better. Mm. That I don't need to say very much. I just say what needs to be said. As, and I said, that's why he's her saint and not just a school teacher. Yeah. Or a, a teacher of nature. He's her guru, her sage, her saint. Mm. And that's a different kind of, you know, where you look up to somebody like that because they are reading your soul. Mm. And he was, because he went through what she went through. Exactly. And he was so patient with her and mm. respected her wishes. Yeah. Such a beautiful human being, you know? Have you Was that relationship, was that dynamic familiar to you at all? Have you had anybody like that in your life at any point that's taught you or you know, shown you what you were capable of and in a way you didn't know? Not as a friend, therapist. Yeah. One of my oldest, dearest friends has always been my mentor, but never have I had that kind of relationship where there is no need for exposition. Right. Have you ever had like, well, it's a, it's a terrible question because I mean, we've all, but I, the 
as somebody who I lost my dad when I was 30. And so, so much of watching your performance was so familiar to me. And, and I thought, gosh, I've had to then play the, that a couple of times, but did you draw on anything in your life? Like, have you had grief like that? I hope not, but. I haven't, but you know, it's interesting talking to a couple of renowned therapists before I did this movie, because I wasn't going to play the part until the last minute. Oh, really? Who was going to play it? Well, we, we hadn't really, we'd reached out to a few girls and they were either too busy or scheduling conflict or they had been working too much. They wanted to be a mom, totally get it. And then we got financed really quick. And we had this very slim window in which to get it cast and get up on that mountain and start prepping. So we didn't have time to take the risk of what if we don't get it cast in 48 hours? So the producer said, you just do it. But (laughs) I, in that 48 hours, I need to understand that level Mm. all had trauma every single one of us and i talked to this genius doctor dr james gordon yes literally you know i'm right so he he does it for a living yes he helps people transform out of their pain yes and he said i want to do something with you i want to get on zoom and i'm going to do a session with you and i want you to be edie and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I don't quite understand because I think I'm going to fall back into me because I know therapy. I know, right, how you you get sort of engulfed in that bubble. You don't even know that you're in. Yeah. And he led me down the path of who that character was. He asked the questions that he would ask someone that had had that experience. And he had these sage advice tidbits that he would have said to somebody that had that experience. And I started weeping when I, like, I mean, like that guttural where your body is responding to mm. letting the trauma that you've been holding in. And that was mine, obviously, of course, of right? Course. You're infusing yourself through the character always anyway. And it was one of the most liberating experiences I've ever had. And I was able to, to intellectually and cognitively understand how to play that person without claiming to know what everybody's grief is about. Wow. That's amazing. How did you find him? Through my oldest, dearest friend, who is one of the writers of land, Erin Dignam. And she adopted two girls from Sierra Leone when they were little bitty. They're now graduates of Stanford with degrees, by the way. Oh yeah. So she's an amazing human being. And she met him because they came from very traumatic environments in Sierra Leone in an orphanage. So she told me about this technique and it's a lot of, it's body movement. Yeah. You are literally right. Shaking, shaking it out of your body. Yeah. Have you done it? I have. Yeah. yeah? We've, worked, we've, we've done a bunch of work with him at the company and it's an, it's, it's actually an area that I've been really fascinated by for a long time because especially in Western culture, we're not given language for grief or trauma, how to process it. There's no, there's no permission. There's no rubric to follow. And we end up trapping it in cells in our body. And we walk around holding all of this pain that we are sublimating and disconnected to. And I, I really believe that left unprocessed, it causes 
physical symptoms and illness and all kinds of illness. And in my own life, just trying to become as integrated as possible. Like that's my goal, right? Is just, I would, I would like to die as integrated and true to myself as possible, having squeezed as much marrow out of life as I can. Like Walt Whitman said, like watching your movie is like reading Whitman in that way. And so I've always been really interested in the art of healing trauma and hoping to, this is the other thing I love about the film is that it's in our hands to be able to move through things if we have the bravery to do it. And we think we don't, and we watch Edie not think she does, and we see her on the verge of giving up, et cetera. But, you know, we, if we are brave enough, we are able to start, start to transmute some of that pain and, and turn it into wisdom and turn it into what like fodder for our next incarnation. It's, right. It's amazing to that we have, but we don't, we're not given the kind of roadmap for how to do it. And you're so right in saying it's about bravery and it helps so much to have someone like a Dr. James Gordon or your beautiful best friend in, in your life or a Miguel yeah, who gives you that permission and the allowance for it and the space for it to occur. Yeah. Like you don't have to rush. And there's a line in, in the, in the film land, people just want me to be better. And that's pressure because there's a time limit on your grief and how long you hold on to it. And Mm -hmm. when can you expunge and how do you, and I have to do it your way. Well, it's not really, your way is not really working for me. Some days you're fine and functioning. And then three years later, you're hit by a wave and you're not, it's, it's very personal and it's a real process. And it's what we're all going through on one level or an extreme level in this COVID year. We don't even know what the effect will be psychologically. The people who have experienced loss during this COVID time. Oh yeah, they know. Yeah. But the children, that's what I'm thinking about. These little kids just not socializing and mask wearing, it's going to scar very deeply. I don't want to say for life. I don't want to be that pessimistic, but three years from now, I think we're going to look back (laughs) and really start to dissect what damage was done Mm. to our psyche and how how we connect. Mm. That's why I feel like the message in this movie is so universal. It's what we all want to hear. It's a re-reminder of, Human beings are beautiful people mm-hmm. and we want to help each other. What's why we're here, I feel. That's an intrinsic thing in most of it. I feel like we're all born that way. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely agree with you. That's why it's so funny when little kids become little liars. <laughs> we were talking about this the other day. You're like, but we're all born pure and truthful and honest and, and direct. And we want, we really want to be kind to people. And they're like, how does that two and a half year old know how to lie to me and say, mommy, I didn't have no cookies. <laughs> and they were, they ate the whole jar. <laughs> how old are your kids? My daughter's nearly 17, which I cannot believe. And my son is nearly 15. 
oh my goodness, you've got teens. I've got full teens. How old are yours? They're you've got gonna humans, right? You've got, I've got, I've got I've got a couple of humans. Yep. They are 28 and almost 30. My eldest is almost 30. I know it's crazy. Where Have they been with you all year? What was your COVID year? What did it look like? Yes, we have seen each other frequently when things opened up. We'd say, okay, we feel safe. And my son has actually been working at CORE, which is his dad's organization. And they were giving out tests here in uh, Los Angeles. And then they started to spread domestically into many other states and cities. It's just an incredible, basically it's free. You could go get tested. Now they're giving out vaccines. So he's oh, working wow. there on a daily basis, getting tested all the time. So I feel more comfortable hanging out with him. Amazing. Do you all live in the same city? We do. Yep. Yeah. And what does your daughter do? She is an actress and my son is an actor. They're doing the thing that they said they would never do, you know, when they were young and they'd come to set. I'm like, God, I hate going to set. So boring. (sighs) Yep, it is. It's boring if you're not working. It's really boring. And then they would always say to us, I would never be an actor. Well, they both are. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Dylan, my daughter, is coming out in a movie that her dad directed and starred in. And they play father and daughter in the movie. And it's based on a true story. And it's just a powerful, powerful, you know, based on a true story. Really great. Wow. And she's so good in it. When is that coming out? I think it's going to premiere at Cannes. I could be wrong about that with COVID. I don't know what's happening. But, right. you know, we yeah. were in Sundance and it was virtual and we did it. We you were going to have a drive-in theater experience for the premiere. We were going to, Damien and I were going to show up on this little platform stage in front of the screen outdoors at the Rose Bowl. Oh my God. That and they had amazing. to cancel everybody's premiere at the last minute because of this new spike. And then we just sent it out on a link, watch it on your TV. And there was our premiere. Well, I guess the, the upside of us all having become so accustomed to watching things in our homes is that I, I don't, I think we're able to really still conjure the experience of a film from home now. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, unfortunate if you only have the computer or an iPhone to watch it on, but at least you're still getting the experience of a story being told to you. So both of your kids have writer, I mean, actor, director, parents, like that's, that's right. (laughs) Was Sean helpful at all on how to do both at the same time? He didn't, I, he didn't with me, but you know, that's the first time he directed himself is in this movie that's coming out. Oh gosh. I didn't realize that. He had never been in his movies. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to ask him, how was that? It's, it's definitely more work. (laughs) I'll say that. Yeah. (laughs) Just a little bit, but it's actually easier to get in front of the camera. Yeah. Because we've done it longer. Right. We, we meaning the novices like me. I'm a novice director just in the beginner seat. So you're pretty fucking good. I'll tell oh, you. Thank I've you. seen a lot of movies and man, this is a great, this is an exquisitely beautiful film. Oh, Gwen, it really thank is. Thank you so much. Thank you it's for amazing. watching. We've Absolutely. never, I've met you a few times over Barely. The and I've always five been, years. 
too starstruck to talk to you. So yeah, I was I, on a red carpet or something. Well, I know, but still, it's like you 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 don't know the indelible impact you had on me as a te- young teenager. Do you know what what what's next? Are you reading stuff? Do you want to direct more films? Like what what's next? Would love to direct something else. I am going to direct in a couple of months the last two episodes of season four of Ozark. Oh, you know, I have not seen that show yet. I'm oh behind. God, you have to watch it. You got to watch it. Great. It's amazing. What else? what else do I need to watch? Give me your, your quarantine list of must. The two oh. that I got hooked on, three. That one is is off the charts. Fantastic. It's It's even more corrupt than House of Cards, if you can imagine. And then Succession. Did you do that one? Yes, yes. I still have a couple left in there, but I really, really love that one too. I love really Cousin show. Greg. I'm very oh my God. Right. How great is Cousin Greg? Cousin Greg. He's the reason Greg. I watch that show. I mean, it's brilliant, but I'm I'm extra into Cousin Greg. The other one that I just watched that was hysterical was called Flowers with Olivia Coleman. Oh. And it's a British series. You will die. It is off the charts. But she's just incredible. She's one of my favorite of all time actors. She's unbelievable. Right? Okay, I have two last really quick questions for you that I ask all my actor friends who come on my podcast. Who is the best on-screen kisser? Kevin Costner. Ooh, oh, that's such a good one. I mean, it's hard. It's hard off the cuff to answer that, right? Now I'm going back going, how many men have I kissed on camera? A anyway. lot, Robin. A <laughs> lot. <laughs> okay. And last one, and of course, you do not say who, but have you had a romance with a famous person that nobody knows about in the public eye? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, that's my favorite question that I love to think about. Oh, who could it be? (laughs) Okay, great. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. Honestly, my deepest congratulations. This is a work of art. And I, you are such a love. I'm, I'm so moved that really I cried. I've not cried that hard in a long time. And your performance is exquisite and just your command of the camera and the, it's just all amazing. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Robin Wright. Her new film, Land, is out now. I can't recommend it enough. Head to watchlandfilm.com for more. That's a wrap on today's episode. If you have a second, please rate, review, and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Don't forget to share the Goop podcast with a friend. And in the meantime, for more, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.